Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Berto Wills, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. And I just have to address Tank 28. The right-wing misinformation machine is at it again. I know that's the message that you're seeing in the right wing, that somehow AOC, the, her account that she went on on, on uh, or Instagram and talked, that somehow it's false. She wasn't in the Capitol. She was in the Capitol complex. And she said so. I really suggest that you guys go out there and check it out. Hey, Breach says she bought the PDR Posse mug. You go, girl. She bought the PDR Posse mug. Who else is going to go out there and get that PDR Posse mug? Let me go ahead and put the... Let, let's show you the mug that, that she did. Because since she brought it up at the beginning of the show, why not show it at the beginning of the show? That is the mug designed by Bridge MCP for our PDR Posse. And how do you get to our PDR Posse? Click that join button, become a part of the PDR Posse, and then go ahead and get go ahead and get the product. Go ahead and get the cup support politics and right. Okay, and that's the link to get the PDR Posse. Anyhow, we're gonna have a great show for you today. What is the show gonna be about today? Today we have a long, well, actually it's not long. But it's a it's it's a good show. Check this out. Uh, let me bring that screen up real quickly. There we go. Fake news expert. We have an interview with the fake news expert. Democrats better for the economy. You know we talked about that. Well, I actually did a solid piece on that because we didn't cover it very well yesterday. Impeachment. Uh, Nancy Pelosi had something to say about impeachment. Yeah, I know it's hard to listen to her sometimes, but I wanted to listen to the substance of what she had to say. And then I show you a piece on COVID irresponsibility. COVID irresponsibility. So without further ado, beforehand, let me go ahead and say hi to my brothers and my sisters. Michael Rodnin, welcome aboard. Antarctica is melting in a way our climate models never predicted. Scientists say in recent years, ice melt in the southern hemisphere has begun to speed up at an alarming rate on track with our worst case scenarios since 2012. Recent research reveals the rate of ice loss in Antarctica has tripled compared to two decade to the two decades before. Wow, scary. Actually, that is scary because that means our, our ocean rise is going to be a lot higher than we thought. Let me tell you about some a lot of people don't understand ocean rise sometimes, right? If you have ice that's floating on the ocean, a lot of icebergs and all of that, some there are a lot of the shelves that's floating. If those melt, there's no problem, right? Because the, the, there's no displacement. The change in displacement is the same. I mean, it's the, that ice flattens out. It, there's no change in displacement. The problem is ice that's sitting on land. If ice that's sitting on land melts, we get ocean rise. And that's what's dangerous, brothers and sisters. And that is why we have to take this climate change seriously. We may be getting close to the point of no return. We may already be there. We may have to start thinking about how do we save a Miami? How do we save a New York City? How do we save a Los Angeles? You know why? Because the, the, it may be on. And are we going to build dikes? Are we going to build dams to 
hold these things, I don't know, until we can then take some of the carbon out of the air to refreeze a whole lot of stuff. And then, I don't know, it's be above my pay grade. But we are in dire straits. And the people that have been denying climate change since the 79, when we could have done something about it then, nothing. Last item from Michael Rodnet. Imagine for a moment a co-worker says several of her fellow employees should be killed and then incites a violent mob to storm into your workplace, yet she comes back to work uh, yet she comes back to work afterwards. Talk about a hostile environment. That is so true. That is what in effect that is what in effect we are seeing. Think about that, folks. That woman is an insurrectionist, and what she did. What she did, that was amazing. Hey, Michael, you had some three good zingers today, brother. Oh, you have another one. 20 former members of Congress have been expelled as recently as 2002, with another seven who resigned after expulsion proceedings commenced. Glad you put that out there. I hadn't done any research on that. And now, welcome aboard, Bridge MCP. Whoa, birthday boy on a roll. Oh, today's Michael. I didn't see it pop up in my thing. Happy birthday, Michael. Everybody sing Michael a happy birthday, guys. Sing Michael at happy birthday. I prepare something for Michael. All right, let's see. Was watching the house today, hearing her talk, make me gag. Come on, be nice, Bridge MCP. You're a sweet young lady. Be nice, be nice, be nice. Uh, let's see. Bridge says she bought the mug. Tank 28, spring is coming. I don't know what that means, Tank. I don't know. If, if, anyhow. Uh, weaponized. Lee Grant, welcome aboard, Lee. Julie Van Osdell, welcome aboard. Uh, who else is here? Uh, okay. Let's get started. First video of the day, Nancy Pelosi. Sorry, MCP Bridge, but I got to play her. Good one. Check it out. Looking ahead to the impeachment trial next week, it will be one month since the attack on the Capitol. Yes. The former president is, is long gone. There are plenty of people who say, why bother? Why go through this entire exercise? What do you say to them? Well, I appreciate that question because uh, it seems to me that the answer is self-evident. Again, we're here to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. The world witnessed uh, the incitement that the president caused to incite a insurrection against our government, against our capital, against members of Congress, with the use of force and violence. Uh, so uh, we, for us to, why bother? Why bother? Ask our founders. Why bother? Ask those who wrote the Constitution. Ask Abraham Lincoln. Ask anyone who cares about our democracy why we are bothering. You cannot go forward until you have justice. And what did we say about the preamble to the Constitution? Uh, didn't we say it started out uh, with justice? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. You've heard me say again and again, Pope Paul VI said, if you want peace, work for justice. Martin Luther King, peace is not just the absence of dissension, it is the presence of justice. So we will honor the Constitution by establishing justice. And Again, we can do a couple of things at once. We are moving with our legislation uh, to pass the Biden administration, Biden-Harris administration COVID package. Uh, the uh, uh, people, the whole world were witnesses 
to this, as I said before. Uh, so we'll see. I have no idea how the uh, uh, managers will proceed. I saw their brief when you saw their brief. I'm so proud of the dignity with which they have brought to enabling us to honor our Constitution. If we were not to follow up with this, we might as well remove any penalty from the Constitution of impeachment. Just take it out. But our founders, they, they knew about two things, and we keep hearing this again and again. They, wanted to, they were fearful of a demagogue, and they were fearful of a demagogue and a mob. And that's exactly what descended. Uh, the effect of that is exactly what defended on the Constitution. But I want the public to know that there is no opportunity cost in our defending the Constitution. In fact, it is an enhancement for us to do our work in a way uh, that is respectful of the institutions in which we serve, the Constitution, which we take an oath uh, to, um, uh, to protect and defend. Our colleague from the um, LA Times had asked um, that, that the House managers are walking into a trial where all signs point to acquittal. Um, they don't know that. What does a big They don't know that. They don't know that. They haven't heard the case. They don't have the case, but they, the, uh, and the, and the court of the Senate, they will make their case. In the court of public opinion, they will make their case. And for history and posterity, as our colleague, as our founder said, uh, to ourselves and our posterity, uh, they will make the case. Uh, but uh, I have great confidence in them, and we'll see. We'll see if it's going to be a Senate of courage or cowardice. We spend a lot of time deconstructing. I love that. It's going to be a Senate of cowards or courage. But folks, we have to say to our good friend, Michael Rudnan. You know what we want to tell you, Michael Rudnan? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, our great researcher. Happy birthday, Michael Rudnan. I hope you like that, Michael. Look, we love our, we love our PDR passes around here. We love our people who are always a part of the family. So thank you very much for being here, my brother. Anyhow, um... Let's see, let's see, let's see. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Uh, I did a piece. Yesterday we spoke about, yesterday we spoke about uh, Democrats and the economy. I think I did a, after I processed the video, I thought I did a lousy job. So what I went ahead and did is I went ahead and did a little bit better preparation for it. And then I put it out here today. So I want to play that for you. And forgive that I didn't quite have it sufficiently organized yesterday. I think it's much better today. So here we go with important information. We are in a, an economic crisis right now for many. For quite a few, they're doing very well. We have a K recovery. Amazon is selling like bonkers. Bezos has doubled his, his wealth. A lot of these wealthy people are doing fine because all the little businesses have had to shut down and the big guys took over. They found forms to make money on your misery. And that's what in a capitalist society like we have today. But anyhow, um, we are going through budgeting right now where we're trying to get a, a stimulus pass, a recovery-type bill passed. Uh, President Biden is working on that right now. The problem is we're not getting Republican support because Republican wants to put their tenets in there. They want to make it smaller just so that it's smaller. Of course, when it is time to give the big tax cuts, 
bigger is better because somehow they're going to pay for themselves even as history and science has told us that that will not happen, that cannot happen, that's just not how economies work. Anyhow, this article is titled, uh, Why? Why has, uh, let's see, the, Why are Republicans president so bad for the economy? And it's subtitled, GDP, jobs and other indicators have all risen faster under Democrats for nearly the past century. The second paragraph is probative. It says, it's true about almost any major indicator, gross domestic product, employment, incomes, productivity, even stock prices. It's true if you examine only the precise period when a president is in office or instead assume that a president's policies affect the economy only after a lag and don't start his economic clock until months after it takes office. The gap holds almost regardless of how you define success. Two economic professors at Princeton, Alan Blinder and Mark Watson, write, they describe it as startlingly large. And if you want to see it graphically, what we have here, it says that if you look at the top six presidents, the economy of the, 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 G, the annual growth rate for the top six presidents are Democrats. And only Obama fall under that a, a little, between three presidents, Nixon, Reagan, and Ford. And that was because of the catastrophe that he had coming into the office. But the article continues and it said, and, and it points out something important. Since 1933, the economy has grown at an annual average rate of 4.6% under Democrats and under 2.4% under Republicans. In other words, Democrats grow the economy almost twice as fast as Republicans. You'd want to think that a history is probative and you want to follow the policies of the people who constantly, of that president who constantly have that sort of an outcome. The average income of Americans would be more than double its current level if the economy had somehow grown at the democratic rate for all the past nine decades. If anything, that period, which is based on data availability, is too kind to Republicans. It should have been a lot worse if we had full data because it excludes the portion of the depression that happened under Herbert Hoover's watch. Probative. The six presidents who have presided over the fastest job growth have all been Democrats. They are Roosevelt, Johnson, Carter, Truman, Kennedy, and Clinton. I want you to think about this. Everybody used to like to talk about the Reagan miracle, how great he did for the economy. Clinton's economy beat Reagan's economy. But somehow, because he had his picadillos, uh, somehow Reagan had this mystique. And of course, uh, uh, Republicans are much better marketers. They were able to market for people to believe that Reagan was this great guy. Even Nixon beat Reagan. But you'd never know. Reagan had that mystique. But anyhow, the six presidents who have presided over the fastest growing markets have all been Democrats. As you can see above, that's the, the graphs up there. The four presidents who have presided over the slowest growth have all been Republicans. Trump, Bush 1, Bush 2, and Eisenhower. What's funny is Trump is negative. So Trump blew away the economy with his incompetence, with the way he handled the coronavirus and all the other issues. He, uh, he is, in fact, turning out to be the worst president America has ever seen, both economically and morally. So it, it turns out economically, morally, and ethically is what I should say. So it's turning out that 
America made the right choice this time, but we almost didn't based on this electoral college that is a fraud to American people. Anyway, so what are the theories? First, it is worth rejecting, according to the article, it is worth rejecting a few unlikely possibilities. Congressional control is not the answer. The pattern holds regardless of which party is running Congress. Deficit spending also does not explain the gap. It is not the case that Democrats... Uh, it's not the case that Democrats juice the economy by spending money and then leave Republicans to clean up the mess. The converse is actually true. Ask about what happened after Reagan. Asked about what happened under Bush too. They've cratered economies, and it's always the Democrats building it back up. Again, the, the numbers are probative. That leaves one broad possibility with a good amount of supporting evidence. Democrats have been more willing to heed economic and historical lessons about what policies actually strengthen the economy, while Republicans have often clung to theories that they want to believe, like the supposedly magical powers of tax cuts and deregulations. Democrats, in short, have been more pragmatic. They understand the speed of money. If I put money in the hands of those who have the least, what happens is they spend it right away. And spending money does what? It creates circulation in the economy. Economic activity is a circulation of money and thus far a better economy. You give the money to the top, they trickle down some, ah, uh, let's see, maybe I'll build a factory that employ a few people, but if there's, if we don't know where the demand is, well, we can't build a factory till the demand comes. But if the people don't have money, the demand never comes. And that's why. It Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. That is, that, I mean, it doesn't take rocket science to understand this. Uh, economists have to look at more numbers in detail so they can give you an exact answer. But you can also look in the aggregate. You can actually postulate what you see based on activity. Now, uh, Democrats have also been more aggressive about job creating investment. You'll see them talk about, let's do something to create jobs. The, the Republicans always let the private sector take care of creating jobs at their will. In other words, they're not working in public interest. They're working in the, the private sector works in the interest of profit. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're looking at for society, we want to look in the interest of society, which means the government attempts to do whatever is necessary to juice into, into the system a, a, a reality that creates jobs. Now, uh, so that, that explains, and that, that is one explanation as well. For most of the part of Republican economic policy since 1980 has, in, has surrounded one policy, large tax cuts under the false premise that it'll pay for themselves. In as much as every single big tax cut 
has resulted in larger deficits and less economic activity. Here's the bottom line. An article like this is something that many of us have known implicitly for quite a while. But in these times where we are fighting against uh, a, a party that simply doesn't want to invest in the American people, a party that simply wants to give us a third of what, uh, what President Biden is asking for to ensure this economy comes back, uh, understanding that it needs a, a big input of capital to get it working. Money's in people's hands. Uh, support for businesses, small businesses that are failing. We need those things. In these times when we know there's a party that have made the, the necessary policies to lift up an economy, why aren't we talking about this in the media, in the mainstream media? Americans need to know this. You would not be able to convince a Republican that their policies have actually hurt most of their own people. But just putting the data out there and putting it in mass, putting it all the time, that's one thing Republicans know how to do. Repeat, 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 and their fallacies become reality. Well, uh, I think progressives, Democrats need to repeat, 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 so that the real truth become the reality of those who have a hard time breaking away from a false reality. Absolutely, so we have to break from that false reality. We have to break from that false reality. Now, this story got to me. Uh, I, I, check this out. This story completely got to me, and then I'll talk, talk about it afterwards. Well, let me set it up. Um, Americans like to say, we are individuals, and they like to also say, we love our freedom, and we want to do what we want to do. And that is fine. That is perfect. But when what you do has a negative effect on not only myself, on others, and the economy, at that point, society must defend itself. And I think we're reaching to that point with a whole lot of these folks that are super spreaders of coronavirus because it's hurting us all. Check this out scene that we're about to show you would have been entirely unremarkable, but now it is almost unthinkable. Video from our own Sam Brock, shot by him yesterday at a grocery store in Naples, Florida. You can see there a crowd of shoppers and employees acting like it's any other day, not a day in the middle of a global pandemic that has killed nearly 30,000 people in that state alone. There are no masks, no social distancing, no plexiglass, nothing at all, elderly people. But there is a proud owner who is proud to rebel against public health guidelines. NBC's Sam Brock has more. Katie, good afternoon. Wearing a mask in Collier County, where I am right now, isn't optional. There are mask mandates for people to wear a mask when going inside supermarkets. I wasn't out to find people not doing that. I stopped by for lunch. What we saw ended up being a representation of the fault lines in this country right now over COVID and wearing masks that could be costing lives. Video that looks like it was taken pre-pandemic. The Oaks Farm seed-to-table market in Naples, Florida, captures the country's divide, with many customers and employees visibly not wearing masks. Despite experts' clear messaging that wearing masks can slow the spread of COVID-19. The CDC makes recommendations based on data that they accumulate because it's a science based organization. When we first asked about the store's mask policy, we were directed to this sign stating the mask exemption guidelines. 
Those in our lovely government have ordered all persons entering indoor facilities to wear a mask. If you have a medical condition that prevents you from wearing a mask, you are exempt. We cannot legally ask you about your medical condition. Therefore, if we see you without a mask, we will assume you have a medical condition. Alfie Oaks is the store's owner, known for his conservative and often controversial viewpoints. Is your position then about medical exemptions, or is it about the fact that you don't think masks work and that the virus well, is not a real thing? I know that the masks don't work, and I know that the virus has not, has not killed 400,000 people in this country. That's, that's total hogwash. Oaks, who organized getting a bus of people to Washington, D.C. on January 6th to support former President Trump, believes many of the deaths being attributed to COVID are due to other causes. I'm not going to do it. I've never worn a mask in my life, and I never will. Yesterday, more than 3,000 people died from the coronavirus in the United States. Oaks's store, a stark contrast to the hundreds of public stores in Florida, equipped with plexiglass checkout counters, social distancing rules, even pharmacies administering vaccines. On social media, reaction to the video poured in swiftly. One person tweeting, I can't stop watching this. My jaw is literally on my desk. Another said, we should exempt them from the vaccine line then. Katie, it is worth noting that I'm told the business communities in the city of Naples and in Collier County were lobbying their local governments to institute a mask mandate because they didn't want to be the bad guys. They were worried about their own health and safety. Also worth noting that this, what we saw here, is an outlier. The vast majority of supermarkets across Florida, not just in Naples, are observing these protocols. But we are in a very affluent, conservative, wealthy part of the state, and clearly, there are examples of some people flouting the rules. Katie? But the problem is, Sam, it's not an outlier when it comes to all of the disinformation that is out there, and it's an example of that. It's about so much more than masks. It is about a chunk of this country losing its grip on reality. Sorry about that big uh, black thing around. Uh, I, I turned that around right away, and I forgot to expand the, the link so uh forgive that the, the image there i'll probably try to clean it up a little bit later welcome aboard michael uh, norman reynolds welcome aboard paul fleming lee grant guy great to see you guys here as well uh bruce pollard welcome aboard uh who else is here daniel ledo giving me hell as usual but still love you brother lawrence sims and uh, lee grant eric hayes eric we got a lot to talk about evidently because you're putting out a whole lot of stuff there let me tell you Numbers are numbers are numbers, though, brother. Numbers are numbers are numbers. And, you know, uh, when you have a whole lot of those guys talking, on, that's all I can say. Numbers are numbers. Anyhow, folks, we are coming to the halfway mark before I need to put on our, the person we interviewed. Please remember, if you are on YouTube, click that join button and become a part of our family, the, the, uh, become a part of the PDR Posse. PDR Posse designed by the one and only our member and leader in the PDR Posse, Bridge MCP. You can support us as well by getting the book that you see on the screen right now. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. You can go ahead and get that at Amazon. You can get that at Amazon. Uh, by the way, the, all the blogs that are written, uh, Eric has the numbers in them. Thank you very much, brother. And uh, if you want to eliminate the middleman at the store... Just go to politicsdoneright.com slash store, politicsdoneright.com slash store to get all our books. We have three or four books that are there ready to ship. Uh, we we love your support via Patreon. Patreon, that's politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. And of course, we all, all of us that do this kind of work, we love 
PayPal. So you can go ahead and provide us support via PayPal. Go to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal, politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. But we want you to get our cups or boots or, 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 or hoodies or sweaters, all that good stuff that you can either purchase right there on YouTube or go to politicsdoneright.com slash store. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get busy with our interview, and then we'll come back right after that. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We are honored today to have Dr. David Dozier, who is the author of The California Killing Field. And, and inter- he's an internationally recognized expert and speaker on mass communication, public relations, and communication management. Uh, he is also a professor emeritus in the School of Journalism and Media Studies at San Diego State University. Dozier's author or co-author of over a hundred books, book chapters, articles, scholarly papers, and his works have been cited by other scholars over 4,000 times. Welcome aboard Politics and Right, David Dozer. How are you doing today? Very good. And you, sir? I am doing, I'm doing great. Today we have an important topic to discuss, and I think it is right up your alley. Specifically, Has the growth of fake news infected our political process? To which you say? Yes, it has. Now, is it yet fatal? Is it quasi-fatal? Where are we in the realms of what this kind of fake news can do to a society, to a government, to a system? I think that we're kind of at a crossroads. I think that under the uh, Trump administration, uh, fake news and uh, uh, misinformation and disinformation uh, uh, ran rampant and uh, it was coming right out of the White House. And so it's understandable that many people would feel confused uh, and uh, misinformed. Uh, and I think that when you look at the uh, insurrection at the Capitol building on January 6th and listen to what some of the people said, um, they were in a bubble. Uh, they had beliefs that were, uh, from my point of view, uh, detached from reality. Uh, but those views were uh, reinforced by a lot of information that was being fed to them um, uh, by uh, the former president, um, by uh, right-wing media channels. And I think that um, what we need to do as a society is to come to grips with the notion that we may disagree with each other uh, in terms of what the facts mean and how we feel about them. But I think that we have to have some kind of foundation in reality where we all agree, yeah, it's a fact. Uh, Joe Biden did win the presidency, fact. Um, And so those things are uh, some of the challenges that I think we're facing. Now, um, earlier in, in listening to your the initial part of your answer, you said that a lot of the people on January 6th in your opinion, a lot of what they said was, you didn't say silly, but you said, you know, made no sense, was false. Um, Isn't it a a part of the issue as well for us to even give it plausibility that says, in my opinion, what they said was false? Aren't there certain things that are just black and white? What you're saying is simply wrong. And maybe a lot of folks on the progressive side, on the news side, on the other side, need to stop uh, maybe just saying, it's simply not so. 
Well, I think um, that's one of the things I've observed over the course of the uh, Trump administration was a, um, I'll call it a step up to the plate moment for a lot of, uh, a lot of journalists because um, in the past, uh, politicians love the old style journalists and, and, and the derogatory definition of a journalist was a stenographer with amnesia. And so, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, and so uh, if uh, uh, the president of the United States said something that was false, something that we knew was false, and let's face it, it started right after his inauguration when he said it was the largest uh, inauguration crowd ever. Well. You know, these things are factual, um, and so you can check them out. You can look at aerial photos. You can look at uh, Barack Obama's initial inauguration. You can look at Donald Trump's. Count the pick people in the crowd. And so uh, in the past, what journalists would do is say, well, the president said this, so let's go find a Democrat that would say something different, and then let the uh, listener um, or viewer or reader make up their own minds. Uh, I think that's that's the easy way out. I think the, the harder thing to do is when you know that something is factually incorrect, you need to call people on it and you need to identify that in uh, the uh, news that you provide uh, about that. Now, one of the beauties of uh, reading something online is that you can have a link that says uh, this was false, and then you provide the reader uh, the opportunity to look why you say that. What are the uh, sources that allow you as a journalist to say, no, that's not true? Well, let, let me, let me uh, push you a second here, uh, Dr. Dozier, because as I, you're a journalism professor. Uh, Correct. Now, one of the things that's taught in journalism is exactly that. He said, she said. In other words, don't become a part of the story. And in fact, that is what Rand Paul used against uh, Stephanopoulos just this weekend when uh, Stephanopoulos said simply, you are incorrect. Don, I mean, uh, Joe Biden won the election. Uh, immediately, Rand Paul said, wait a minute, Stephanopoulos, you are making yourself a part of the story. You should, you should simply, in the old days, what journalists did is they did exactly what you said. And I agree with you. That is what I thought. I'm, not, I'm an engineer, not a journalist, uh, journalistic, journalism student. But what I did learn in moving my grade into journalism is that was the way journalism was taught. You didn't become a part of the story. You got all the sides together. And then you, you hoped that the American population or whoever you're feeding the news to would be able to make that decision as to what is true and what's not. What I'm saying here is our population, I think for journalism to work in a population like that, you have to assume a fairly intelligent population. Am I right? Or is that, is that correct or not? Well, I think you're, you're correct. I, I wouldn't use the word intelligent so much as informed. Informed, yes, and, correct. Uh, and and, and what, I would, what I would add to that is that when we look at things like QAnon, for instance, um, uh, and some of the things that um, they claimed, you know, you got this cabal of Democrats that are uh, basically engaged in human trafficking and cannibalism and Satanism. Well, from where I sit, that that's like a bad acid trip. I mean, that doesn't have any, <laughs> I'm sorry, it doesn't have any foundation in reality. Right. But I was, but I was reading this weekend about uh, the Jonestown suicides. Um, you may, uh, you might be too young to remember that. In but Guyana, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, back in uh, 1978, uh, uh, 900 people committed suicide, uh, including 300 people under the age of 18. Uh, and it was the same problem with being inside a bubble, information bubble, where everything those people were hearing was coming from Jim's Jones. And for a lot of people on the right, uh, when Trump would say outrageous things, um, they believed it. And they were getting lots of reinforcement from, a, um, shall we say, a compliant um, uh, conservative media. And so I think that what we're seeing is a shift away from that old standard of he said, she said, um, because that you know, that's enshrined in journalism education. But if you look at it historically, where that came from is from the wire services. They had to sell a commodity, news, to uh, Republican and Democratic left-wing, right-wing publications. And so the he said, she said was the safe way of selling a commodity. Um, but that's the easy way out, the hard way. I am for so glad you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm so glad I just learned. What I love about doing these interviews is how much I learn, right? I didn't realize that, that that's a good reason for having the he said, she said, right? Because again, you're selling a product that had to go to everybody and you couldn't, it's, it, it's not even that it's not an opinion. It's just that if you happen to tell the truth as it is, they may not particularly want those particular stories. Exactly. And um, I think the, the challenge in our society, uh, and it all goes back to the internet and social media, uh, we've always had issues of people living uh, in information bubbles where they believed things that the vast majority of other Americans didn't believe. And so that's nothing unique. But what social media allows is for this to be accelerated and for this to be automated and for this to be uh, uh, sent at the speed of light all around the country uh, where everybody's got a platform. Everybody can be a publisher, but there's not much accountability for it. And so what I think the solution to all of this is, is a thing that some of my colleagues here at San Diego State and other universities around the country are calling digital and social media literacy. Our, um, our population in the United States today is simply illiterate um, as regards information that they get off of the internet and special social, especially social media. And there's a skill set, a uh, toolbox that uh, we can impart starting in uh, kindergarten uh, all the way through high school and it's certainly a general ed course at the uh, college or university level that would provide people with the tools that they need to be able to look at information that they receive and start asking questions about it. Where did that come from? Who says? What's the background? They're saying that the Constitution says this or the Constitution says that. Look at the Constitution. It's available online. So the same internet that allowed social media to create these bubbles is also a powerful tool for you know, popping those bubbles and allowing um, the average citizen uh, to be their own best defense, uh, their own, if you will, firewall against uh, disinformation and fake news. Now, personally, um, I like to be corrected. I imagine you as a professor of journalism as well, like, like, like that. But um, in other words, if I find something on the internet and I do my research and I initially came out okay, and then later on I found out that there are some caveats, I, I put the errata on it and I make the change as necessary, et cetera. 
But isn't it true that in this country and likely everywhere else, there is a certain amount of desired willful ignorance by parties to justify their own sometimes prejudices, sometimes ideologies. And what, they, what, what this allows them to do is hide behind the misinformation that the social media allows them? I think uh, every human being has a tendency towards what's called confirmation bias. Um, right. We all like to feel that we've got it right. And when somebody disagrees with us, they've got it wrong. And so um, the most insidious misinformation is the misinformation that kind of fits our worldview. And so that's where we've got to be especially careful are these taken for granted facts, if you will, uh, that may in fact, uh, may in fact not be true. And so that's where we've got to uh, another aspect of uh, uh, digital and social media literacy is looking at different points of view. Now, uh, given my uh, background, uh, I, I, I attended the University of California, Berkeley in the late 60s. I know, uh, so, I know your style. <laughs> so, so I, I have a point of view that's uh, in streets of Berkeley sort of point of view. Um, but I understand that a lot of people that I grew up with in a very rural part of California would disagree with me. So um, I have to expose myself to points of view that I'm not necessarily in agreement with. So I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I read the columns um, as far down into the column as I can get before I go, nah, can't read anymore. <laughs> but but I, I expose myself to points of view uh, that I disagree with. And, and uh, I think that's an obligation for all of us. Um, uh, I, I like to use the example of uh, imagine that you're a citizen in North Korea. And so everything you get in the media is basically state controlled and uh, you can vote for the Communist Party or the Communist Party. So you really don't have a lot of obligations in terms of digital and social media literacy, uh, but we live in a democracy. We've got all this power uh, that we can exercise uh, at, the, uh, at the voting booth. And as a consequence, um, it's a, a part of our responsibility as citizens in a democracy to become literate uh, in uh, the information that we're consuming, and especially the information that we already agree with. Um, that's the challenge. Um, but nobody said that being a citizen in a democracy was going to be easy. Uh, and I think that uh, I think that the, the 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 last four years, and more specifically, the this month has taught us a lesson in how how really important it is for us to be in formed in a uh, in a rational way about what's going on in our country, what's going on in the world, uh, and um, to have a civil dialogue with people with whom we disagree. That is what I really push. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very progressive, but I try to entertain all sides. In fact, uh, this program you'll find have a whole lot of conservatives, liberals, everything in between that uh, listens to this program, watches this program. But I, I want to go back to the same subject again, because I think it's a bit uh, deeper in that everything that you said, I agree with. We have to teach uh, digital literacy from kindergarten up so people can understand that everything that they click on isn't true. I agree with that. Um, but I think when we talk about when we talk about confirmation bias uh, with people trying to find information that match matches their ideology, uh, there's I think there's yet another level, and that is 
people find digital data to match their ideology uh, when they are sure that when they are disproved, uh, they still maintain the same, uh, you know, and, and still continue to use that digital data as their their backups in as much as they may be proven false. There is another tier, I think that, and I don't know how we handle that. I don't know how we handle that. That uh, when, And that's where I talk about willful ignorance. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money. Geico? Yeah. They were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal. A safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller. I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer. <laughs> piano tuner. Or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Right. From confirmation I, bias to willful ignorance. How I do we handle that, that? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that we're going to, you know, make everybody, um, uh, shall we say, uh, sophisticated, literate folks on the Internet. And um, there will always be folks that have a strongly held point of view and uh, don't um, don't want to change. Uh, my, my, my brother-in-law used to live uh, here in California, moved to South Carolina because he just couldn't stand living in a blue state anymore. Uh, though South Carolina is going, uh, going purple anyway. It's going so. blue too, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that, that my brother-in-law would be an example of somebody that had a strong point of view that just wasn't willing to um, uh, listen to other points of view, but I, I found him useful to talk to because um, during the Trump years, uh, he was very much a pro-Trump person. And so I'd start the conversation with, well, why do you think that's true? And you try to find, um, you try to find areas where you agree. Uh, one of my students um, uh, was an officer, uh, may still be uh, in the Marine Corps. And he uh, uh, was in my office uh, talking about, uh, this is back in 2016, he was talking about uh, voting for President Trump. And, uh, but he was from a rural part of Georgia, I believe. And I grew up in a rural area. And so we started talking about rural poverty and how rural poverty is different than urban poverty and how solutions to those problems have to take in to consideration those very special uh, characteristics. Sure. Well, we sure. we we strongly disagreed on who ought to be the next president of the United States, um, but we could find areas where we agreed. And I think that a lot of times when you're dealing with, if you will, uh, willful ignorance, you try to find an area where you have some common ground and you try to expand, uh, expand from there. And I think the key thing isn't so much that you're necessarily going to uh, convert somebody to um, a, uh, a more right. enlightened point of view, uh, but you're going to have a dialogue. And when they start thinking about those people, they'll go, well, but, but, but there's this 
guy I was talking to, and he's a liberal, but you know, he was one of my teachers, and yada yada. And that's that's my stance. You know, I was talking to this guy. He voted for for uh, Donald Trump, um, uh, career career military guy. But we have things that we agree on. And uh, one of the things that uh, he pointed out, he says a lot of people say that I'm a, because I voted for Trump, I'm a racist. Well, his wife is from the Philippines, his children are biracial. And he says, I take exception to that um, because uh, my family is biracial. And so um, I'm not a racist. My reason for voting for Trump had nothing to do with his uh, um, overt racism, if you will, uh, it was because of other things. And so when people would say, well, if you voted for Trump, you're a racist. I always remember um, my Marine Corps student who basically uh, got me out of my comfort zone, uh, got me out of an area where I was very comfortable with saying, oh, well, if you voted for Donald, you must be a racist. Well, indeed, many people had voted for Donald Trump uh, are and were racist. Um, not everybody. And I think having those exceptions um, allows all of us to realize that as Americans, while we have these deep, deep differences, um, we also have a lot of things in common. That is so true. And I, I you know, having, having a relatives of mine, both black and white that have voted for uh, Donald Trump, uh, I, I've, I've learned that lesson, of course, because neither of them have or 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 racist per se neither the black one or the white ones racist so i mean um that that i think that is that's an important thing and it's it's hard in the in this during the steam to really get that out but anyhow um before we go here you you know what got this journalist this professor into writing a book called the california killing field well, that's, um, I'll try to make it a very short story. When I was 15 years old, I was next door neighbor and friends with a kid that got on the school bus with me. And because it was up in the mountains and it was cold in the winter, his grandfather would come and join us at the bus stop. And I'd sit in the cab uh, with this uh, student, same age as me, and his grandfather the granddad really well. Uh, well, the summer between our freshman and sophomore year, uh, uh, this individual, this uh, friend of mine, murdered his grandmother and his grandfather. Years later, when he was let out of prison, he went on to kill eight other people. His name is Ed Kemper, uh, and kind of a famous serial killer out here in California now, uh, serving time, uh, you know, multiple life sentences. Uh, and it got me at a very early age thinking about the death penalty. So to answer your question, I've always been interested in the death penalty. I happen to be an abolitionist. I don't think the death penalty is morally uh, um, um, correct. And um, I also, through my own research, know it's a very racist institution. About 13% of Americans are, are African-American or Black. 34% uh, of the people executed are Black. So it's uh, probably one of the most racist institutions in our society. And um, so I decided to write a novel because these are things that you know, people don't really care a lot about. And so I tried to write a novel um, that involved an investigative journalist doing some digging around and trying to introduce those issues in the context of uh, storytelling. So anyhow, that's, um, that's the, the backstory on the California killing field. 
Well, available on Amazon. Yeah, I, I saw it. I, I saw the book, you know, as I was going through your stuff here, I said, Oh, let me bring up this stuff because that books look at the book look like it's going to be an interesting read. But anyhow, um, the question that I ask every single person that I interview, and that is what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Oh, you did an excellent job of asking all of the right questions. So uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your program and, and answer those questions. Well, look, uh, Dr. Dozier, I really appreciate your, uh, you having been here on Politics Done Right. Uh, thank you so kindly, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, sir. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, let me answer a couple of things real quickly. Um, you know, when I, you know, the, the one subject that really irks me, right, is the part about taxes. When, when the professor said that his brother, who is a, a Trump supporter, moved away from a blue state to a red state, Eric says maybe he was running away from taxes. And you know why that irks me? Because uh, the, irrespons the irresponsibility of people who constantly the only thing they think about are taxes. Uh, let me tell you something about uh, something about taxes here. The red states love to talk about how they charge so little taxes, right? And a lot of companies from blue states who are selfish generally will come into those states just because they have low taxes. But along they will bring a lot of educated folks that were educated in blue states into the states. So the, the companies come to the states, they don't give any substantive employment or, or, or impetus to grow the knowledge base of the, the local economy. And then they clap their hands and say, all these companies are moving here. But yet, if you go into the barrios, the ghettos, and the lower class areas, nothing changes. You know why? Low taxes. Now you get, those of you who complain about taxes, let me tell you a little quick story here, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you amounts. But there was a time when CamDRV just took off, and the oil companies, it was a nice, good, booming days of the, the late 1990s, early 2000s, and, you know, my particular products, they, they were all over the place. In, in, you use a gas machine to pump gas. The way the data got to that machine was probably using CAMDRV, C-O-M-M-D-R-V. Management Solutions are the company that puts that stuff all in. I'm just telling you these names because a lot of times you say things and people think, oh, you're just creating these things. All of these things are verifiable. And I remember that particular year, the income was like great. And I remember calling an accountant and saying, hey, what what should I do? You know, I mean, the taxes or whatever, the taxes were crazy. And then she said, well, you know, I can find a way for you to hide this and I can find a way for you to put this away so you don't have to pay a lot of taxes on it. And, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, right? And then I started to think back again. And I'm like, look at this. I am so damn lucky. And yes, I know I worked hard, but I was damn lucky that everything went perfectly great this year, right? Made a whole bunch of money, so much money that the amount that I had to pay in taxes was what some people made and had to work several years to make. And I'm sitting down there and I'm like, wow, why the hell am I thinking like these people in my neighborhood? Why am I thinking like these people? Why? 
if this country has been so damn good to me that I could have made that windfall, why the hell do, it's not like I am worth the windfall. Why the hell don't I want to give back to what gave me the wherewithal to do it? To all those people that are pumping the gas, to all those people that are, to all those people that are working hard that made that company possible to make, per, make the purchase from me. We have learned a psychology in this country of selfishness that I just don't get it and a worth that we are not really, that really is undeserved. Did I deserve all that money? Hell no. I know I worked hard and I know it is through my product that produced it. But it was through the people who decided that they liked the gas that the company purchased. My God, people. I'm not talking to all my good folks here. But I want you to, I want you to see this, guys. I want you to see this, guys. It is, it is, we have to change our mindset. We really have to change our mindset. Because we are not all that. None of us on an individual basis is all that. And when we get that codified within ourselves, we will stop having the problems that we have in Congress. Because remember, a lot of times we look at what Congress does. But too often, Congress is a reflection of us. And if we are selfish, Congress tries to be selfish. I, I really, really want you to think about that. I really want you to think about that. Anyhow, welcome, Bridge MCP, Tank 28. Uh, and by the way, well, I would even, I'm not going to answer you, Tank, but I'm very happy with the folks that I have. Quite a bit more than that, but I'm very happy with them. Bridge MCP, Bruce Pollard, welcome aboard. Uh, Eric Hayes, welcome aboard. Julie Henderson, thank you for being here. Michael Rudnan, of course. Uh, Norman Reynolds, my brother, thank you for being here. Uh, coming, going in, going in, going in, going in, going in, going in, going in. Uh, I'm, I'm forgive me if I missed you because I'm scrolling real fast. Lee Grant, I forgot to name you, Lee Grant. How you doing, brother? Uh, let's see who else. Daniel Ledo, hermano mío, my brother. Let's see who else is here. Uh, para ver, para ver. I think I got Bridge MC. Of course, Bridge was the first person here. Bridge and, and, and the others. Okay, AVQ. All right, I got to get out of here early because I have a, a big interview with um, another guy. I'm going to either bring that one to you guys tomorrow or Monday, and I have to go set up for that, and I have to go read a couple of his excerpts before... I get that done. Blues Pollard, Lauren Sims, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see what else is here. Anyhow, folks, if you have anything special to let me know, just go ahead and drop me a line, info at politicsandright.com, info at politicsandright.com. Those of you that are listening to us on YouTube, YouTube Live, please go ahead and click that join button, become a part of our YouTube posse, or rather PDR posse. What am I saying? Bridge is going to knock my head off. PDR Posse, please join our PDR Posse. Uh, if you're not if you're not on YouTube right now, you can still join our PDR Posse. You don't have to hit the join button. You can just go ahead and hit the politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Politicsandright.com slash YouTube. You can support us via Patreon. That is politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Politicsandright.com slash Patreon. I just put that in as well. And we, we also take PayPal. Politicsandright.com slash PayPal. 
And of course, you can get our book at Amazon. And I'm putting the link for the book at Amazon in the screen right now. And if you want to eliminate the middleman, just go to our store, which is politicsandright.com slash store. Look, thank you so kindly, guys, for being here. I know there are many other places that you can be. The fact that you're being here with me, I am honored. Uh, remember that we play this again tonight, and we also have it on podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, uh, where else? TuneIn, Spotify. You can find us on all those platforms. So please feel free to listen. Please feel free to share. This is how the new media gets done. My name is Egberto Willis. You know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. Want to hear something amazing? Oh, and feel free to tell your friends too. So, Kohl's, they're having a huge sale on summer stuff. And if you live for sunny days like I do, you need to check it out. I got 40% off a new patio set, Food Network grilling essentials for 20% off, and 50% off those yard games my kids won't stop talking about. Best part? I got an extra $10 off and some Kohl's cash. It almost makes being cooped up all winter worth it. Almost. Select styles. 10 off 25 offer valid May 27th through 31st. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or tick it.